This is Bill Barnes from Unshelved. Back in June of 2011, I was lucky enough to spend a half hour talking to one of my favorite writers, John Scalzi, most famous for the Old Man's War series. At the time, he had just released Fuzzy Nation, a reboot of H. Beam Piper's classic Fuzzy series. We spoke at the American Library Association annual conference in New Orleans. Hello! Hello. Hello! Uh, and now we're sort of awkwardly not looking at each other. No, I mean, we're well, both staring at that. Well, well, there you, we go. Isn't it great? That's like, your job is to look at me. Okay. I'm the talent. the talent. And then we're going to get reaction. After we're done, we're going to go back and get reaction shots. shots. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's okay. not video, but we still need to get them. We can right. get here's reaction the, audio shots. Here's the, yeah, okay, here's, here's the reaction shot for the laugh. <laughs> and then and then I want you to have a serious moment, a serious moment about the state of something sad and serious. Hmm. There we go. Good. That's an interesting question. And then I'll intersperse those. In right. Absolutely. I like how this is all going. So I just read uh, Android's Dream for the first time. Oh, good. I had, I had actually no idea this book existed. Oh, yeah? Because I'd, I'd read all the Old Man's War stuff, and I was looking forward to Fuzzy Nation, and then you handed me a copy at yeah. the thing. And yeah. so, and so is that, was that sort of the world's reaction to it? Or? The, uh, no, it actually sold pretty well. I mean, okay. it, was my, it was my third or fourth book. I can't remember which. I think it was the fourth. Uh-huh. It was the second book that I uh, sold, actually. It was part of the two-book deal, okay. Old Man's War and then Book to be Named Later. And the Book to be Named Later was Android's Dream. And they basically were like, you know, they wanted Old Man's War. They're like, and we'll get you, since we're getting you cheap with Old Man's War, we'll get you cheap with the second book. And so they said, do you Before have you a... you get too famous. Right, 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 exactly. Well, presumably, yeah. right. You know, And so they were like, do you have a second book that you can sell us? And I, of course I didn't. And the answer was, so I said, absolutely. Yeah. And so I sold... Well, it's like Hollywood. You have to walk into the backup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I, uh, I said to them, they said, well, what's this book about? And this is how I sold the book on a one-sentence pitch. Man solves diplomatic crisis through use of action scenes and snappy dialogue. And they're like, sold. great, we'll take that. And you saw the movie rights at the same moment. Exactly, it was beautiful. No, but the thing about it was is that they literally, and I don't mean this as an aspersion to tour, right? But they, you know, because they've been very good to me in a general sense, but they literally didn't care what that book was about. Yeah. They're like, we want this book. Oh, there's a second book, whatever. And I'm like, well, if I can write whatever, then my first, you know, so I thought to myself, what is the most ridiculous thing that I can do to start off a book? That still satisfies the original premise. Yeah, yeah. And so the way that I started off the book was a chapter-long fart joke. Yeah, you know? it really was. It really, really, it really was. was, yeah. And uh, I'm still extraordinarily proud of that particular chapter because it is... Because you justified it. It's absolutely, it's an absolutely ridiculous it's thing. It's critical I, to, the, to the plot. It makes, the, yeah, it's the James Bond opening. It's the thing that sets everything else in, in motion. But, you know, but fundamentally it's about some guy being so angry at somebody else that he's like, I'm going to kill him. How am I going to kill him? I'm going to fart him to death. You know, and uh, so I was trying to explain this once to, before I started writing it, my father-in-law, he's just the nicest guy, but he's just like, so you wrote that first book, now you're going to write a second book, what's that book going to be about? And I was like, well, let me tell you, and I'm <laughs> telling him that this is, there's going to be this guy, and he's angry, and he's going to fart someone to death, and my wife is standing behind my father-in-law, and my father-in-law... Thing next on the art fake. Yeah, she's just, you know, she's just got, actually got her, her head in her hands, just like, oh God, why are you doing this? And then I wrote the, the chapter, and, she's, and she comes in after she read it, and she slaps it down, and she's like, I don't know how you did that, but you pulled it off. And that's the thing that was, and that was part of the point for, for me, which was, Seriously, think of the most ridiculous thing. Can you make it work? If you can make this absolutely ridiculous thing work, then you're good. Then everything else is easy. I actually just went to, I believe, the store, like the meat store mentioned in the first chapter. It's, it's right down the street from here. It's oh, called yeah. Butcher. Oh, yeah. 
It's an offshoot of a restaurant called Cochon. That's, I, I got to tell you, uh, New Orleans, they weren't exaggerating on that whole no, food thing. No. I was, I was coming through, and I, as I go, you know, I tweet, you know, like I landed in Atlanta, mm-hmm. right? And I said, hello, Atlanta, I'm here for an hour. And somebody was like, oh, you're in Atlanta, you're at the Terminal A, you should eat at the Chick fil A. Yeah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm going to New Orleans, and you're telling me to eat at Chick fil A in Atlanta? You actually, you actually need to fast for several days. I'd say, I would, well, and, and in fact, yesterday before, because I had dinner at Antoine's, right? Yeah. Which is nice. Right? Yeah, I've, I've heard of Antoine's. Um, and, uh, but I ate like 250 calories. I had just enough that I didn't you know, start twitching. Right. Because I knew that when I went well, to dinner. What you don't want is for your stomach to shrink. Before right, you exactly. So, but I ate just enough so that when I got there, I could consume like 47,000 calories, which I did. You know, and uh, so yeah, I, I recently actually lost 30 pounds. I went from about 100, uh, almost 190 down to about 160. I just met you like last month. So this is the only John Scalzi I've ever known. Well, you know, I'm glad that you like this, the slim spelt me, but I lost, I lost it because I, I, I'm at that age where you either lose it or yeah. you keep it yeah. and accept it. Yeah. And so, former uh, relationship with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you go, well, then I, it's good that I have a sparkling personality, even if you don't, you know. But the, so, but the thing is, is so I lost all that weight, and part of that is uh, I came here and I'm like, I'm going to put on about half of it, but it's New Orleans. That's what. And you'll sweat it off. Yeah, you and, and and we'll start that cycle again. I've, I'm sure I gained like seven pounds last night alone, and then I made it. I made a date tomorrow morning with a, a friend of mine. We're going to go get. Uh, beignets at mm-hmm. uh, Cafe, Cafe du Monde. Monde. Yeah, because... That's what you do? That's what you do. That's and sometimes you go back and back again. Right, right, right. Around. Exactly. As, as well you should. But this is the, you know, that's why you come to you come to New Orleans, as you, as you mentioned. You drink, you wander around, you eat, you wander around, you drink again. You do a little shopping. It's a little bit of shopping. It's the circle of life. That's why you're here. I mean, nobody comes to New Orleans to, you know, uh, you know for the uh, frisbee. Though the frisbee here is excellent, the frisbee here is excellent. You know, it's the humidity. It actually that, just that, keeps it floating in the air. It just keeps it going. There's a lot of updrafts. It's really nice. So in Android Stream, look, I'm going to steer very quietly and uh, beautifully segue the conversation back, right, back right. to the book. So in Android Stream, my favorite part is the uh, is the love story. Android Stream? Yeah, they meet so cute. Oh, the yeah. Well, you know, it's they uh, just meet cute and they have snappy, cute dialogue. Right. And I just, I just wanted to eat it the whole time. Well, that's the, you know, that's the whole point. You know, I'm a big believer in. Uh, there's nothing wrong with snappy dialogue. You know, some people are like nobody really talks like that. It's like so what? I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. I, you know, it's like I watched The Thin Man. Nobody talks like that in no, The Thin Man. But we either. all want to. Yeah, it would. It's like we read fashion magazines. That's what we want to look like, too. This is this is the thing. Everybody wants to be quick on their feet. Yeah. Everybody wants to be the person that has the quip. Everybody wants to be that. Yeah, everyone that wants person. to be a character in a Joss Whedon TV show. It's much better than you know starving yourself by eating nothing but watercress and s- cigarette smoke. You know, yeah. to to, to weigh mean, ninety-seven pounds. I guess you it's can... easier to be witty than to starve. And I guess you can write a book where everyone talks real, but it's actually not very interesting because there'd be a lot of uh and um. Well, that's no. this is the thing that people don't know about dialogue, which is dialogue. But they will now. That they will now because I'm going to say it. Uh, you know, dialogue is tell not. Him, tell them, John. I, do, I will just shush so I can say no. Um, dialogue. I'm waiting for you to interject again. Okay. Please go on. All right. Dialogue is not speech. Dialogue is a facsimile of speech designed to convey the plot. And because of that, um, 
it's completely unnatural for it to be natural dialogue between what uh, you because, know you and I we do. don't do a lot of plot conveying in life right exactly you're just talking about whatever you're talking about and you talk over each other and and all that sort of stuff and and, and yes back in the 1970s there was a big thing where people would talk over each other in films and yeah. people were like oh that's so naturalistic but you, you know only people that really got away with that very well were like Altman and you know a couple of others the simple fact of the matter is is that it's, a, it's an artificial medium. And what you want to do is make it look reasonably close enough to the real thing that people don't notice that they're getting the artifice. So, and, and when I think of like a David Mamet movie, I think that sort of doesn't, it doesn't do it because I'm always conscious that I'm watching a David Mamet movie. Yeah, because the dialogue is show-offy. It's, it's like, show-off. Look, yeah. at my, look at my dialogue, yeah. aren't I cute? Yeah. Um, and, has, it's, and it's a beautiful thing to watch and to enjoy, but, you, but you're never... You've never lost the. Uh, you, you, you're never confused about what you're doing. No, you're, you're definitely. You, you know. You know the structure, and you know. Let's let's not uh, bag on uh, David Mamet too much. You know, he does have that whole Pulitzer thing going for him. Yeah, if you like that sort of thing. If you like that sort of thing, but you, he's very but, good but, at what but he does. Like, but but like, I think it's half a step away from like Aaron Sorkin, where I actually, I can I can do it both ways. I can enjoy it, mm-hmm. and I can just settle into it. Yeah, well, Aaron Sorkin is really interesting to me because. On one side, when he when he hits, he hits. But sometimes the thing that used to bother me is you ever watch Sports Night, mm-hmm. you know, and people. Well, what really bothers me is Sports Night is the laugh track. Yeah, that was yeah. But the, the thing that they would do is they would just get too sort of. It's like I'm going to tell you something. Are you going to tell me something? I'm definitely going to tell you something. Why don't you tell me something? I am going to tell you something right now. Here's the thing that I'm going to tell you. Well, good because I've been waiting for this thing that you're going to tell me, and I'm going to tell you it now. Good, I'm ready to hear it. Good because now I'm going to say it to you. It's like, like, we just, stay tuned for next episode of Sports. We just freaking say it already. Would you just? What is it? So, um, yeah, you know, you want so you, to go back to this. Yeah, you want them to have the snappy dialogue. You want them to be able to be the people you wish you could be when you were in that sort of situation. Yeah, I still want that to be like how my wife and I met. Right, right, right. We met with a, with a bunch of stunning repartee and we fell into bed. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And that's not how you met. How did you no. meet? Uh, we, uh, she was office mates with my old girlfriend, right? It's just not as good a, yeah. a thing. See, I met my wife the old-fashioned way. We met in a bar. Oh, See, as God intended. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, if he, 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 he had me there for a reason. And it wasn't just for the $3 hurricane night. And after she was done cleaning you off. Right, right, exactly. Hi there, you're pretty. Um, but seriously, but to go back to this, dialogue is, uh, is it's, not, uh, it's not speech, but it's supposed to be that. Just like a novel is not real life, but it's supposed to be something that sort of looks like it for right. the purposes of That's why the novel is like, and then he drove and picked up groceries, and then he did this, and then he did this. Because life is mostly end-ends. Yeah, exactly. And, and not particularly interesting to end-ends. Oh, yeah. And then... And then I typed, and then I typed some more. People ask me that. Oh, then I hit backspace. What's what's it like the ri- the life of a writer? And it's like it's boring. I sit in front of a glowy screen all day, and I type. And then occasionally I go and get something to eat. And then occasionally I'll go walk the dog, you know. And then my wife comes home, and I say, "Hi, honey, how was your day?" And actually, the only way I've been able to romanticize my life is um, is by telling people that I put up with almost no bullshit. Yeah. Like, the actual, the actual texture of my day is quite, like you say, kind of boring. Yeah, but you get to do what you want to do. But I get to do what I want to do, and then, and then people can look at it romantically again. Well, you know, but the thing is, is that, you know, everybody thinks about, you know, you think about, like, uh, Hemingway, or you think about all these, you know, really interesting writers, Fitzgerald and Zelda and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we all know about the highlights and, you know, the arguments they had with this other writer or, you know, this part where Zelda needs to be institutionalized, what are we going to do? But nobody, you know, but the... the no matter how interesting that writer's life was, the vast majority of his time is spent the same way that you spend your time or the same way I spend my time, in front of that stupid, you know, 
text-producing uh, apparatus producing text. I think what I want to believe is all the people who write snappy dialogue, their whole life is snappy dialogue. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is not even the people who write snappy dialogue are all that snappy in real life because the, the great thing about writing is you can rewrite. You can get exactly the right thing. And so it looks really smooth yeah. and really natural. But nobody, nobody is, is as suave as, you know, they are in, you know, authors as suave as they are in their books. There's that old great thing about... Uh, so somebody said to Cary Grant, I wish I were, you know, I wish I were Cary Grant, and he responds, so do I, yeah. you know, because he wasn't, yeah. he was Archibald Leach. How true that's it. That yeah, is. exactly. So, you know, and it's just a matter of, uh, you know, and that's a great thing about books is that you can be, you know, nobody ever sees the process. Nobody sees you looking at, you know, a page of text and going, this is the worst thing I've ever written, I need to jump out of a window. What they see is the final thing that you are happy with and then finally comes out. I'm sure it's the same with, with you, with Unshelved. Yeah. There's lots of stuff where There's you're... There's an enormous amount of crap that just gets edited out. Right, and you never see it and everyone else but all this stuff is gold. It's like, yeah. It is now. Yeah, and you have to, and you have to pan for gold. You know, right. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that you have to do. What's the stuff that you pan when you pan gold? Uh, there's a word for it. There's a, well, to try to say, I don't right know, I, okay. I think it's called dirt. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the other, so then I read uh, Fuzzy Nation. Yeah. And you seem to like courtroom scenes. Uh, <laughs> well, the original has a courtroom scene. Okay. So. Um, and I'm, so I'm new to the whole series and I kind of intentionally yeah, decided yeah, yeah. to come in fresh because that's the whole point anyway. Well, the, well, yeah, the whole point of it was, here was Fuzzy, uh, Little Fuzzy, which was the novel written by H.P. Piper in 1962. Mm-hmm. Or he read it, wrote it before then. It was nominated for a Hugo in '62, um, and um, and it's a really good book. It's also very much a book of its time. I was going to ask how it's aged. It's it's aged as you would expect a book yeah. from 1962 written by a science yeah. fiction writer to age would yeah. age. Um, and so it's still readable. It's still very readable. But you're like, oh, and now it's cocktail hour. It's not like it's not like the, it's not like the Lensman. It's not like H. Doc E. Doc Smith aging badly, is it? Um, I, uh, that's going to be a personal interpretation. Okay. I mean, the Lensman's series was like the 40s, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so I mean, that's, so that's even... another 20 years. Yeah, that's another 20 years added on to the, to the pile. But uh, it's very much definitely a, a, a book of its time. Um, and so the thing is, is you look at it and you're like, I like the, I like the book, I like mm-hmm. the story. There are some things that I think will throw current readers out, mm-hmm. which wouldn't have happened when it first came out 50 years ago, but will now. So, you know, what would it be like to take this same story, same general arc, same punchy plot points and put them with characters that today people you know 50 years from now people will read fuzzy nation and go oh, we got to redo this again you know and they'll be you know fuzzy whatever you know in in 2000 or 2042 or 2062 or whatever um but for now it's something that we're comfortable with and that sort of and sort of milieu but yeah there was definitely a courtroom scene in that one as well okay. Um, and that's sort of why I, I put it in there as well. But I do like courtroom scenes. Well, it's and, good. And I just read Android Stream, and there's one in there too. Oh yeah. And they both have the same kind of friendly judge, the overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. There's but, a lot of momentum of the court stuff. That yeah, goes on, and, the, I, and I, I think that's it's it's fun to do it that way because I mean it's a, it's an idiom that people are comfortable with. Yeah. I mean we've seen enough courtroom dramas, but you also get quite a lot of. Uh, it's a it's a cheap and easy way to sort of advance the plot and get a lot of exposition. Yeah. You know. Um, and to not there's a reason for people to suddenly go into explanations. Yeah, but, and but it doesn't. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like. And now we're having this big yeah. chunk of plot. Well, as you know, my son, let me tell you the story of my life. Exactly, um, and that's always you know, and that's always something that's very difficult. Well, the 
the book Fuzzy Nation starts off with a huge chunk of exposition, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I, which I've hopefully cleverly hidden by this guy talking to his dog, yep. right? That's right. Um, and you don't notice it because he's talking to his dog, and you get the reaction. I like that the, that the, the reader surrogate is the dog. Right. Exactly. And uh, and that's and that's the whole thing is like and this is what a, does that say about how you feel about your. I love my readers. Okay. They're big, friendly, slobbery They're readers, slobbery. and I love them so much. And, and look, who's a good reader? Who's a good I am, reader? I am. You are. You are. No, but it is one of those things where one of the great sins of science fiction is, and now, boom, here's this big chunk of, you know, Lipton chunko plot, right? And you don't want that. You want, you want to tell the things that you need to tell, but you want to do them in a way that, are, that is interesting for the reader, and they just don't feel like they're slogging. So, um, so courtroom scenes are a good way to do that. Having people have conversation as long as it really, really, literally isn't a "as you know, Bob" sort of thing. Although I have to say, at this point, I have such a temptation to Even have you know, have Bob. a scene that says, "Well, as you know, Bob." It's re it's really bad in Marvel comics of a certain era, where where the rule that they had a rule like it was a corporate rule that they had to address each other by name, mm -hmm. like, to re like in every comic, to reestablish well, Cyclops. Right, and they had to like reestablish everything from their secret identity to the current plot line, to whatever. And so there was, it was, it was not gently done. No, no, and it, there are, re I mean, there are reasons for it, but it's sort of like, you know, you don't, you don't want to have to have that reason. You want to be able to trust your readers to. And in what I do with you know the daily comic strip, mm -hmm. there's if I have to reestablish the reader's state like every 24 hours, no, it just can't work. No. And, and so, so I try to make it so you can pretty much land in every strip and pick up wherever we are, and it's okay. And then once in a while, I'm like, that's all right. If I lose someone in this one, it's worth it. Right. Oh, and it's not like, particularly if you're doing a comic strip online, it's not like they can't go back. Yes. You know. Yes. In asterisk C. You know, issue 137. Yes. Which is no longer available. I can't. Where's 137? Have you read uh, Ready Player One? I have, in fact, read You're, Ready Player One. You got name-checked in that. Not, not, only, not only do I have I read Ready Player One, I have, in fact, actually blurbed it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, um, I liked it. I thought it was really, I thought it was really good. I'll Would you have liked it if you didn't get name-checked? I, you know... A little bit less. I, Let's be honest. But... <laughs> so here's my question about that book, because uh -huh. that wasn't a real question. Okay. Uh, so I love that book so much, and it so much speaks to me as a man of that era. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think, like, a random 20-something-year-old is going to pick it up and well, love um, it? Because it, it is a giant set of 80s references, and explicitly and overtly. It's a, well, you know, their nostalgia works. No, nostalgia works, but not for people who don't have nostalgia. No, but it does work for people who don't have nostalgia. You remember, you know, it wasn't just people who were in the 50s Actually, who went right, saw... who watched Happy Days. Yeah, who watched Happy Days or, American you know, Graffiti. American Graffiti. Uh, You're right, because actually I got nostalgic for the 50s when I was a kid, watching yeah, Happy Days. Yeah, exactly. So, so they established it. Well, what happens is, is when you do a, you know, when you do something like that, if you're younger than that, it's like opening up a door into a secret mm. world. You know, it's like which watching maybe watching like your Greece. parents' world, which is interesting. Right. Exactly. Although you hope they weren't making out like everyone on the screen was. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, but it is one of those things where it's just like life was cooler then, because of course we're only highlighting all the the cool bits. Like you know, but you know uh, when Greece came out, right? Yeah. You know, all, all the kids who were like, you know, I was eight at the time, mm -hmm. right? And. Everybody between eight and like eighteen was just going crazy sure. for the soundtrack and and all that sort of stuff. And we didn't know anything about. Well, the Olivia Newton-John, how about it? Yeah, she was very she was very good. And 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 I hear you know that that John Travolta was a good-looking fellow too. Yeah, but 
So, but the, but the whole thing is, so there's a potential for that, you know, to sort of, because it's sort of like how um, the kids of the 80s were more into Led Zeppelin than the kids of the 70s yeah. were, you know, you couldn't. Well, we, because what happened was all the, like, all of the 70s got extracted and distilled into Led Zeppelin. Right, exactly. And so you, what you get is that you get the, instead of the, the, you know, big vat of crap, you get the the highly distilled, there was yeah, serious crap. Yeah, there was serious. Well, there's serious crap in every era. So it's interesting. My Ready Player went to talk about another author's work. Sure, absolutely. Is that is that the the well? So the premise is that the author of the world's greatest multiplayer game dies mm-hmm. and, and leaves his uh, fortune and the giant multiplayer game to whoever can solve the mystery. Right. And he was so into the 80s that whoever solves the mystery is going to have to have just as much love as 80s pop culture as him. Sure. And sure. so the world becomes obsessed with 80s pop culture. Sure. Uh, and I'm wondering, like, if this book becomes popular, if maybe itself, this book will now trigger. Well, we had, we are in the middle of, you know, a sort of '80s flashback. We're, we're, we're beginning, beginning to tail off a little bit. But you know, you had all those teen comedies for a while. You yeah. had uh, a lot of the, a lot of the bands that were big in the the '80s had a sort of resurgence Tours. and stuff. But like we're that. not all, we're not all studying frame for frame the John Hughes movies. So. Oh, you might not be. <laughs> But you gotta you gotta know that somebody in a, a uh, in a film class is doing is doing that sort of stuff. Actually, weirdly, the guy who draws my other comic strip, Paul, uh, is knows more about eighties pop culture than I do, and he's he's fourteen years younger than me. Yeah, so he's, he just turned thirty. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think that that, but I think that works anyway. I mean, because you want to be able to have that, you want to have that context. Um, so it's possible that it could do it. I mean, they're I mean they're also going to be doing a movie, yeah. a version of it, or you know, at least he sold the rights to it. So it's entirely possible it could be the American graffiti of its of its particular age, and I think that that's that's perfectly fine. Um, I like the you know I like the fact that um, I think it it can work on a, a number of different levels. For the people who are the '80s, you get that sort of oh, you're speaking my language. Uh, I know that thing too. Yeah, it's like oh, I love Oingo Boingo as well. Um, yes, I, I, I gave him. I told him that I had uh, interviewed you know Oingo Boingo members several times and got to watch him be jealous of me. So that was always a positive thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but the thing is, is you can never tell. I mean, there the there's always the chance that this book could hit it big. Mm-hmm. There's always a chance that the book will go up against the wall. It'll never happen. Yeah, uh, you know, n- nobody knows. Nobody knows. And to go back to to William Goldman, you know, talking about Hollywood, but it's applicable everywhere. Nobody knows anything. Yeah. When Old Man's War came out in yeah. 2005, January 1st, 2005, um, there were like ten other science fiction books that came out that day. A couple of them also from Tor, and literally, you know, they were all basically flung up against the wall. And nobody knew which was going to stick yeah. and which wasn't. And the the other books were no less as good as Old Man's War. They were all you know, good writers writing yeah. good stuff. But for some reason, you know, possibly, you know, it's a good book and all this sort of stuff, but there's lots of good books that don't stick. And for some reason, mine stuck, you know. And people were like, well, it's because of this and this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, yes, those are all very good reasons. But the one reason that you're not mentioning is because I got lucky. Yeah. Um, and people are like, well, no, no, John, no, it's not just luck. And it's like, no, it's not just luck. But let's not discount the fact that luck helps. You know, every book has to have a little bit of luck. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can they can promote anything they want as much as they want, but if people don't love it, you know, and, and if it doesn't hit the right place at the right time. Well, this is this is sort of my argument for self-publishing, which is publishers don't know. Mm-hmm. Like they don't. They don't have any more wisdom than we do about stuff. They can provide a certain quality bar, I guess. They provide a certain quality bar, but the thing that they do offer, which is not unuseful, yeah. uh, particularly with uh, with writers, is uh, that they can they can take something that deserves to be 
uh, wider known and help them because push they, it over the bar. Because they have a risk pool. Because they have a risk pool and they, they, yeah, and they have a risk pool, they also have uh, understanding of how the mechanism works yes. in and general. I, I have to say, I mean, this is so I'm, of course, writing a novel too, and I like my plan is to self publish it, but, but I have this worry in my head, which is what if it actually starts being popular? Like, what will I do? And I actually don't know. I don't know how to take something that suddenly is like going up the curve and mm-hmm. how to make it that much bigger. Right. I would actually have to go for help. Could be made into a monster if we all pull together as a team. I just don't know how to do it. Well, yeah, well, that's the, that's the whole thing. Yes. Is, is that no, a I get cer- that. At a certain point, I mean, there's... And you can hire publicists and whatever, but, yeah, and you, but, but they have that whole mechanism. Yeah, but at, at, at a certain point, it's just you have to say, I can't do this anymore. And this is the thing about self-publishing, which I think that there's a continual, you know, back and forth about whether people will publish or self-publish or what, whatever. Um, and a lot of it comes down to um, the individual person. There are some people for whom uh, self-publishing is going to be perfect. Because they like all of it, you know, they like the writing, they like the selling, yep. they like the doing yeah, everything. And, and, I, and I do. I like all nine jobs. Right, exactly. And and for someone who likes all nine jobs, there's no reason not to do that because otherwise you'd be sending them going, why are you distributing it this way? Why couldn't you just? This is the way you should be doing it. But on the other end of the spectrum, there are people like me. I oh, do I totally get that. I do two things pretty well. I do writing well. Um, I do marketing. Yeah. In the sense of yeah, self promoting, self promoting, doing all this sort of stuff, being bright and personable, and all that sort of crap, and uh, you know, but the but the point of it is, is that um, you, those are the two things I'm good at. I'm not good at editing. I'm not good at distributing. I'm not good at doing any of all none of that. I don't want to deal with any of that because I know if I deal with it, it's not going to get done as well as it could get done. So here's my publisher that's who's saying, not only can you do the thing you want to do, which is writing, but we can augment. What the thing, the other thing that you do well, which is self-promotion, yeah. and we will handle everything else. And not only that, but we'll give you some of this money up front. Yeah. Makes sense and for I me. Know, I know so many cartoonists who are good cartoonists, and that's what they do. Yeah. And they don't want to do anything else. They can't do anything else. Maybe they could, but they don't want to try. Right. Because or sometimes they demonstrably are bad at it, and they know it. Yeah. And the thing is, here's the thing that I think that a lot of people, when they're, a lot of the people who are not actually engaged in publishing, either self-publishing or, or traditional publishing, they go off and they go, well, you can just do it with all this sort of stuff. Like, you do it. Yeah. You do all this stuff that you just seem to assume that we can just have all this time to do. You know? It's like, because here's, here's the other thing. You know? It's like, I know I can get paid for publishing. You know, or for writing. I know I can get paid for writing. And therefore, if I do take up, here's this much bandwidth I have. You can't see this, but I have my hands out like this. Uh, but I, if I have this much time, if I'm only using a fraction of it for writing, that's a... That means all the rest of this time, this 80% of the time that I am doing anything else, I'm not necessarily making any money. Why not use as much of that time making as much money as I can? It's also a moment in time phenomenon, too, because right. there's, there's a time in my life where doing all nine jobs makes sense. Yeah. But, again, maybe it's a catching the curve. If right. suddenly it becomes what I'm good at is writing, yeah. I can do all the other stuff. Right. But I should. If, if I actually sat down and like figured out my dollars per hour, I should really spend my time writing. Because right. it'll magnify more than anything else. Exactly. Well, this is one of the things. I mean, even just writing, you, you have to prioritize. One of the things that people ask me is, like, why don't you write a whole bunch of short stories? Um, and the, the true... it doesn't monetize. Like, yeah. yeah the, the true and, and what seems like from the outside a really gross answer is because I can't... You know, because the average, you know... Uh, you know, the amount I can make, make off of that is somewhere between six and ten cents a word. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if I'm writing novels, I can write, I can make substantially more. Yeah. Uh, if I'm writing nonfiction instead of uh, fiction, 
um, you know, with shorts, uh, you know, with articles or with corporate work or something like that, I can I can earn, you know, a uh, dollar a word, three or four or five dollars a word, you know, just depending on who I'm working with. Yep. And so it really becomes time, the thing of how do I allocate my time so that I can, you know, pay for my house and my daughter to go to college and stuff like that. And I think that people forget that there's this business aspect of it and it's some, there is even a group of people who get sort of offended that you actually think about these things and I, you know, it's art. financial thing. It's like, nah, well, yes, it's art, but, you know, there's not a whole lot of art that wasn't made one yeah. way or the other uh, because the artist wanted to eat. Yes. You know, yeah. back in the old days of patronage, you would have to, you know, you would have all these artists like being, you know, toadying lick spittles to, you know, uh, you know, oh, Duke of blather, 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 you yeah. are so very mighty, and all that sort of stuff because that's what you had to do. Yeah. Now that we have this in the open market, you know, how do you address the market? Now we, can, now we can just write that directly in the blog. Right. Well, you know, and there's a place for that. I mean, one of the reasons that I write the blog is because eventually, I, you know, it's like I have to write something for myself. Yep. And I'm going to write it for write it on the blog. Or I'll write a short story, not because I want to make money off of it, because there's something I want to try. Yep. Or there's, you know, I want to, I want to do something just to, th again, throw it against the wall, see if it sticks. And if it doesn't, then that's fine. But if it does, then that's something else for the toolbox. Well, and it provides, it provides something what you're talking about, which is we don't know what's going to work. Right. And with, with a blog, you can start trying stuff out and kind of test the waters a little yeah. bit without, without going full commit on everything. Right, exactly. And, you know, some things will work and some things won't, or some things you might find interesting for a week. Yeah. You we, know. Talk, we talked to Capalenti a few weeks ago, and she started writing Fairyland, you know, on, on yeah. LiveJournal, and it suddenly, you know, it accelerated and people yeah. did. Yeah, exactly. You, you always, there's so always she had sold it before she was done. Yeah, because, yeah. yeah. Well, because it's a good book. Yeah, but, but, but you could also see it. You could see the momentum. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, there's a lots of there's lots of different ways you can you can skin this particular cat. But you know, the thing that bothers me is there's a lot of people who think it all it has to be all one thing or another. And it's like, no, it's stupid. It's never been all one thing or another. You know, um, you know, I work with a publisher occasionally, like with the Clash of the Geeks thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I will do something that is partly you know something I did and partly something I'm doing with the publisher. There are some things I just put out online, yeah. you know, just to put them out online. It's all part of, you know, a lot of it just depends on what is the goal of this particular project, what do I want to do with it, you know, what is what is the end game for it. And, and I'm slowly seeing that the whole publishing industry is starting to um, become more atomic, that there are, there are roles, like there are distributors who are now taking on certain aspects of what publishers used to do. Mm -hmm. You can hire an editor. I mean, you could to some degree order off the menu. Yeah, you can. Um, and, and again, it's just a question of what you decide you want to do and yeah. how you want to do it. I mean, um, you know, I do occasionally have people who like, why are you still with Tor? I'm like, because they, I like my editor. You know, my editor gets me. You know, uh, Tor generally, you know, is, is uh, they're number one in their field. They're good people to, to yeah. work with if you're doing science fiction and well, fantasy. Stuff. I, I don't know about you, but a lot of my life is driven by relationships. I, mm -hmm. I work with people I want to work with, and that's worth more to me than hypothetically making a little more money working with someone else. Right. Well, yeah, you have to You have to say, I think that there's a certain point where you, either money money isn't everything or the amount of, there's a certain point where the money is sufficient. Yes. So it's that you yeah, it's like, now we, and now we start looking at other things. Yeah. I mean, I've turned down stuff where I've been offered a ridiculous amount of money, uh, mostly because A, I don't want to do it, or B, uh, I don't think I'm as good as it, at it as they would need it to be, and or C, it's just you know I have no time. You know, it's like but you should do this. This will be great. Why don't you do this? And I'm like, I want to do it. 
Yeah. This is the part where I ask the really cool closing question. Okay. Oh. Uh, then the answer is Belgium. <laughs>